Life had been extra hard on me when I'd gotten the visit from the police. I left my boyfriend of six years after I discovered him and a friend from work in our bed. My hours at work had been cut for some unknown reason, and to top everything off, I had no choice but to move into this 600-something square foot studio that I could barely afford. I couldn't imagine, at the time, living in the same place my ex decided to fuck his co-worker. Looking back, I should have kicked him out rather than leave, but it was too late now. I'd signed the lease, and it was all settled. I kinda shut off from the world after that. My mom called sometimes, but we never held deep conversations. My sister, Ellie, was busy with her new baby, and my dad hadn't spoken to me in about a week. Apparently, he'd been off in some business trip. I hated the world. But like many things in life, the world decided to kick me while I was down. Knock, knock, knock. The knocks were much softer than I'd imagined a cop knocking would be. It sounded almost friendly. I think that's why I hopped from the couch and answered so quickly. I was hoping to see an old friend, maybe even my mom with that casserole she knew I loved so much. Instead, I was met with two detectives. Both were dressed head to toe in layers, and it was all wrapped in a cliché tan trench coat. The cold air from outside seeped into the house, giving this whole interaction a strange, otherworldly feel. I never expected police, detectives no less, to show up at my door. My mind was racing with thoughts, and I could barely even hear the man when he said, Are you Harris Maxwell? I nodded slowly, my brain still trying to mull over what they could say next. The other detective, an older woman, spoke up through her scarf. Mr. Maxwell, your father passed away while out at his cabin this past weekend. We're terribly sorry for your loss. Everything they said after that came out like it was being spoken through a portal to another dimension. It was distorted and incomprehensible. I just shut the door. I didn't know if they were still talking or not, and I really didn't care. All I could do at that point was lie down on the couch and just... exist. I don't know how else to put it. I didn't want to die. I didn't even want to cry. I just... I just wanted to get through the next few days unscathed. And then my mom called. Of course, she was a wreck. She went on about how it should have been her, how she didn't understand how this could happen to us, and how she didn't even know he had a cabin. That caught me as well. I hadn't picked up on it when the detectives told me, but when my mom said it, it cut through me like a knife. When did Dad get a cabin? I thought. After a few minutes, my mom had calmed enough to have a real conversation. We decided that I'd come to visit her, seeing as I was holding it together a bit more than she was, and I had a week off work after all, so it all just lined up. I told her I loved her, that I needed a shower, maybe a bath, before I left, but I'd see her within the next two hours. Pulling into my mom's driveway was a surreal experience. At that moment, I was excited about seeing her, but that was also exactly why I didn't want to get out of my car. We would FaceTime occasionally and talk on the phone, sure, but we hadn't had much one-on-one face-to-face contact in about 
six months. Now the thought of that scared the hell out of me because coming to visit someone solely to mourn together is dreadful. I dragged myself from the car, made it to the front door, and knocked twice. As soon as that door opened, we both lost it. I could tell my mom had already been crying, her face puffy and red, but when she saw me, an inhuman wail escaped her. It broke me. I took her in my arms, and we both just sat there in the threshold of my childhood home, holding each other, non-verbally telling each other that it was going to be okay. We sat there for what felt like hours, though I'm sure it was only a few minutes. Finally, we'd found our way to the living room, sitting across from one another. On the coffee table, a mess of papers, notebooks, and photos of Dad. I recognized some of them. Others I was far too young to remember, or wasn't around when they'd been taken. I just don't get it. My mom barely spoke above a whisper, and she only slightly brought my attention from the photos. I looked up briefly, but she wasn't looking at me, so I put my focus back on the photo in my hand. It was me and my dad at a park in town. I was about five or six, and he was sitting in the sandbox with me. This was not going to be easy. My mom spoke up again, this time a little louder and with a question. Did he ever tell you about that cabin? I shook my head. No. It was news to me as well. I thought maybe you knew. Like maybe it was somewhere you two went for anniversaries or something. She smiled and let out a puff of hair from her nose. Forty-five years we've been married, and he couldn't think of telling me about it? She seemed more... betrayed than angry. You know the police told me he'd had that cabin since 2010. For eleven years, he'd gone off on work trips for a week or even two weeks at a time, always coming back irritable and quick to argue over the littlest things. It's like he was a different person. He'd always find his way back to his regular self, though. I just thought it was work stress. Now I'm not so sure. I knew what she was implying. I wanted to assure her dad wasn't having an affair, but given that I'd had no clue my boyfriend was having one, I had no merit in that conversation. My mom let out a shaky sigh, new tears falling down her cheeks as she got up and headed to the kitchen. I assumed it was for a new glass of Jack. I could smell it on her breath. She wasn't a drinker by any stretch of the word, but losing the one closest to you can make you act out, I suppose. I stayed put in the living room, sifting through more pictures and old writings of my dad's. Letters from when he was overseas, family recipes, even little to-do lists he'd never thrown away. But there was one thing underneath one of the large stacks that caught my eye. A leather-bound notebook. I scooped it up to give it a better look. It was much heavier than I'd anticipated and far more high-quality than any notebook needed to be. There was a small strap on the front secured by a smaller piece of leather, and that piece was secured by two brass rivets. I pulled the strap and opened to a random page. 
Your dad had a thing for codes. I jumped. My mom had seemingly appeared behind me and was looking over my shoulder. How I didn't hear or smell her breath was beyond me. She leaned in closer. I tried my damnedest to understand what it says, but I just don't get it. She sighed and headed back to the kitchen. Take it home if you want it. Maybe you can figure it out. I know you'll want something of his to keep, so let that be it. I have the house, she chuckled, though it seemed hollow. So it's only fair. I looked back down at the jumble of letters. My father had taught me all about codes and ciphers when I was growing up, but in my teen years I'd grown out of it. Just glancing over the page, I could make out a few words from what I remembered. Cabin, three days now, something, the woods, dead. A chill creeped across my spine. Sure, that mix of words could mean a plethora of things, but something being in the woods and also being dead didn't sit well with me. I flipped through a few more pages and scanned over the coded messages. More words started popping out at me. Shadows, ashes, house, and then finally, monsters. That lingering chill had enveloped my entire body at this point, so I closed the journal, pushing the strap of leather into the latch before tossing it into my bag and joining my mom in the kitchen. We spoke a few hours more until she retired to bed. I didn't tell her this, but I'd planned on spending at least one night with her to make sure she didn't do anything drastic. I didn't know how she acted while she was under the influence, so I figured it was better to just keep an eye and ear out. While she slept, I made it a point to try and decipher what my dad had written. It was challenging, but with the little knowledge I had retained and a Google search on a key for the cipher, I was able to get through my first entry. It was one of the later entries in the journal, but I assumed it would give me the most insight into what my dad had been doing in the cabin all this time, and whatever these monsters he was talking about really were. December 3rd, 2021. I hadn't expected to be back up here this late into the year, but I suppose I didn't have much of a choice. This place just calls out to me sometimes. Like a siren or a mermaid pulling in an unsuspecting sailor, I was drawn here seemingly with no other choice. It's gotten to a point where I don't remember driving here, which I'm sure is taking a toll on Margaret. Damn it, I wish I could tell her what's going on, but I know she's not ready. Hell, I don't, I don't think anyone's ready. I woke up here about three hours ago. It's 8 p.m. now and it's already quite dark outside. I think I'll just rest up tonight, head out tomorrow and see if there's anything new at the house. I've still got plenty of food here from my last visit and a decent amount of rounds for the rifle. I just hope this shit doesn't go on for much longer. I think Margaret is suspecting the worst and I can't blame her for it. I'm not sure how I'd feel if she got up and left for weeks at a time. Whatever. There can't be that many more out there, I suppose. I'm going to try and get some rest. Will. That first entry wasn't of much help. In fact, it just raised more questions. What house was he talking about? What things was he talking about? And why did he need a rifle? 
My dad had been an avid hunter in his younger years, slightly less so when he left the military, but I couldn't see him driving out for a hunting trip alone without telling anyone. He was responsible enough to let me, my mom, my sister, and even some close friends from work know where he'd be going. Why were these trips so much more secretive? Maybe because he didn't even know he was going, I whispered. I found myself talking out loud a lot when trying to figure things out, and this was taking far more brain power than I'd expected. I flipped over to the next page to find a new entry dated just a few days later. Some of the pages had what looked like coffee stains or some other kind of brown substance, but luckily it was legible enough. Deciphering what I could, I quickly found answers I wasn't sure I was ready for. December 5th. 2021. Fucked up. I should have lit that damn match when I'd had the chance. I'm not sure how much time I have left here, so I need to get this down for whoever reads this and cracks the cipher. Whether it's an old buddy, a cop, Harris, anyone, y'all need to know what's going on in these woods. I've been coming here periodically for some time. There are older journals stashed somewhere in my house that detail the first few years, but as of now, this is the most important one. These things out here, I call them shadows. They're quick, slender, and absolutely vicious. They seem to be head up in a small house about one and a half miles up an old game trail south of this cabin. I've seen ten, maybe twelve of them throughout that house, and I know they're not afraid to leave. They've come to the cabin more than once, tapping on windows, scratching at the door, and trying to pry the lock open with their talons. I know you can kill them. I've only done it once, but it's possible. Fire seems to be the only way, or maybe just light in general, given they don't seem to like that too much either. The rifle will slow them down, but only for a short period. Long enough to get the hell out of there. The one I'd managed to send packing came rushing at me in the basement of that house. I'd had the torch held out arms linked after my flashlight's batteries died. The bastard screeched and lunged at me like a cheetah going after a gazelle. It was that night I found that these shadows are actually quite solid. I jutted the torch outward like a dagger through pure instinct and it made contact. The shadow began to burn. First just around the torch, but soon the flames ate at it, slowly making its way from the inside out, like lighting a piece of paper on fire from the middle. It screamed and wailed, crawling up this wall and that until it finally just... poofed. And it was gone. There wasn't a loud explosion, there weren't any guts or skin left over. But what was left had me baffled. A stain of that thing was left on the concrete floor of that basement. It reminded me of a chalk outline you'd see in the old detective shows, but it was totally filled in and the details were there. The long, gangly limbs, the misshapen head and those claws. I heard another one running its nails across the walls, so I ran back as quickly as I could. Just tonight, I had my second run-in with one... And things have only gotten worse since. I made my way up that game trail as I had so many times in the past year. This time, though, I think they knew I was coming. I just made it through the threshold of the door into the foyer and started pouring gasoline, fully intent on burning that place to the ground and maybe the whole forest. 
I assure you there is no wildlife out there to be displaced. For miles out, the land was desolate, not so much as a beetle on a log. The creatures in this house had changed the entire ecosystem around them. Of course, I didn't want to be in the house when it went up, so I stepped out off the porch onto the forest floor. It was when I was changing into the clothes that I brought with me that didn't have gasoline on them that I heard it. It was a new sound, but I knew without a doubt it was coming from one of the shadows. Slipping my second shoe on, I looked up. In the doorway, a shadow was perched on the frame like some kind of demented four-legged spider. It hissed at me, letting black ink-like fluid drip from its mouth to the porch below. If I'm remembering correctly, it even sizzled when it touched the rotten wood. Determined to put this to an end, I grabbed the matches from my pocket and lit one. The shadow hissed again, and just as the match left my hand, it lunged at me. The gust of wind it caused blew out the match, and before I knew it, I was on the ground completely unable to breathe. The shadow perched on my chest like a vulture, the vicious black spit dripping onto my neck, causing immense pain. It felt like a cast iron fire poker was being jammed into my flesh, and the smell that came with it was worse. It lifted one claw up high into the sky, completely unfazed by my punches and kicks, and then brought it down, slicing into my side. I screamed out in pain. It was unlike anything I'd ever felt. It was like being stabbed and cauterized at the same time. Holding on to what strength I had left, I dug my thumbs into the beady white eyes on its tall, gaunt face. I did some damage. It jumped off of me and ran back into the house. I made my way back to the cabin as quickly as I could, given my condition. I started writing this an hour ago. It's taken me this long because I continue to black out. I'm not sure if it's caused by the pain or something far worse, but I know I don't have much time left. Whoever finds this, please know that I didn't choose to be the one who found out about these things. I'd purchased this cabin with intention of making it a second home for Margaret and I, a quiet vacation spot, but when I saw what was lurking out there, I knew I could never risk bringing her or anyone else out here. I wanted to make it safe, so I've spent the last few years trying to find out what these things are. I can't find any mention of them in folk tales, legends, Maybe it's just some fucked up product of evolution, but I'm far over my head. I love you, Margaret. Harris, I love you too. If something happens to me, don't trust it. Burn this forest to the ground. To say I was shocked would be an understatement. My dad had never been the type to dwell into superstitions or urban legends, so his wording on these journals seemed out of place for him. The man who wrote these journals about creatures that seemed to defy logic was the same man who claimed Bigfoot was just an endangered ape species or Nessie was a hoax from the start. He'd never even entertained the idea. With that said, he never embellished either. He was a true-to-his-word, honest man. Knowing that made these entries so much more disturbing. Despite my dad no longer being here, but hearing him in my head as I read his writings convinced me he wasn't lying. There was something out there. 
Now I just had to decide what to do with this information. I pulled the thin blanket I'd gotten from my mom's hallway closet up to my chin as I tried to get comfortable on the couch. I knew I couldn't tell my mom what I'd read. If I did, she'd be even more upset thinking he'd lost his mind, and in all honesty, I wasn't sure he hadn't. As I laid there, eyes glued to the now-closed journal on the coffee table, my mind was made up. I had to go to that cabin. I had to make sure my dad wasn't fighting off mere hallucinations in his final days. My mom woke me up that morning with a cup of coffee held under my nose. The bitter smell woke me up more than the caffeine did most of the time. I sat up, took the coffee, and nearly downed half the mug in one massive gulp. Sleep didn't come easy last night, as you may imagine. I was plagued with thoughts of what my father wrote about and just about my father in general. The detectives had told me how he'd passed, though I felt like I knew. Still, I was curious as to what they told my mom. I treaded lightly. Did... Did they tell you how Dad died? She was holding her own mug of coffee in her hands, tightly, really taking in the warmth. It was cold in the house, even with the heat trying its best. I don't believe them, she finally said, just barely audible. I knew it was a lot to ask this early in the morning, but I wanted to know. I didn't tell you this yesterday or the week leading up to it, but I'd reported your father missing. He left in the middle of the night, not telling me or texting me later. I called a lot of his close friends. I hadn't heard from him either. After a few days of his phone going straight to voicemail, I called the police to file a report. Small tears started rolling down her cheeks. I hadn't heard anything from them until yesterday. At that point, I'd already suspected the worst, but she paused, her eyes darting back and forth as if searching in the air for the right way to say it. It was really so much worse than I'd imagined. Mom, you don't have to tell me if you don't know. You deserve to know. You loved him just like I did. She took a deep breath, wiped her face, and continued. They were able to ping his location through GPS or triangulation or something. That's how they found his cabin and then... Him. He was laying on the floor with his rifle beside him. She looked up at me then, tears pooling in her eyes, daring to breach the surface. She just nodded. I knew what she was implying, but it didn't make sense. I suppose everyone says that. He was so happy. He had so much to live for, but that's the thing with someone taking their own life. No one is expecting it, and that's part of why it's so heartbreaking. There are no answers, just questions. I got up from the couch and helped my mom out of the chair to give her a hug, just hold her for a little while. We'd both been through a lot, but she was definitely taking the brunt of it. I stayed for a few more hours, making sure she had food that was easy to prepare, cleaned up her house, and just tried to have 
a semi-normal conversation. Eventually, though, I knew I needed to leave. As much as I loved my mom, she needed the space. I left the number for grief counseling on the fridge and began heading home around three that afternoon. Back home, I dwelled into more entries in the journal, but nothing gave more information on what really happened at the cabin. The only thing that had stuck with me was that last sentence from the entry I'd read at my mom's house. If something happens to me, don't trust it. I knew exactly what it meant. My dad was murdered by something. These shadows, as he called them. It was that reason I decided I needed to go up there and finish what my dad had been killed attempting to do. I had to burn that forest to the ground. I called the detectives who'd come to my house in order to get the address of the cabin, claiming I wanted to go and see if there was anything there left of my father's that my mom or I might want to keep. It was only slightly a lie. I did want to see the cabin, of course, but I needed to get answers. Still having about five days off from work, I began packing that night, planning to leave the next morning. The pit in my stomach, I felt, when my alarm went off at 8 that morning was indescribable. I normally wasn't one to get up this early, but I wanted as much time as I could get to prepare myself mentally for what I may encounter. As for physically preparing, well, I wasn't the most athletic guy, but I could hold my weight in a fight, I thought. Of course, fighting off a mugger would be much different than whatever had killed my dad. Not wanting to dwell any longer, I drug myself out of bed, hopped in the shower, and tried to get the sleep from my eyes. Once I was out and dressed, I made a quick breakfast and was in my car by ten. Typing the address into the GPS made everything real for some reason. I'd been running on autopilot up until this point, and it was here that I really began thinking about if this was as good of an idea as I thought. There was an incredibly likely chance I'd end up like my dad, and... That would leave my mom. I shook my head trying to clear my brain. It only slightly worked, but it was enough to help me put the car in reverse and begin backing out of the driveway. The drive was nothing special. There were a few roads I didn't recognize, but given what was going on at this cabin, I think I was expecting some kind of secret tunnel or guarded entrance. In reality, all I was met with was a small dirt road just off a back road littered with potholes begging to ruin someone's day. I nearly missed it at first, with how deeply set it was, but the GPS helped immensely in that department. Immediately, my body was drenched in dread. It was in the low 30s outside, and while I was warm and cozy the way here, it suddenly felt inefficient. I wasn't sure if it was my body reacting to the fear bubbling in my belly, or if the dense tree cover was to blame. The road took about five minutes to traverse. It was just big enough to fit my sedan, and much like the road it forked from, littered with potholes. If I'd been in a rush, I could have made it to the cabin faster, but rushing was the last thing on my mind. When the road opened up, it did so to a cul-de-sac-sized plot of clear land. Right in the middle sat the famed cabin my dad spent his last days. It was smaller than I'd expected. There was no front porch, just three steps leading to the front door, a window to the left of it. 
I walked around to check out the other sides, but was met with more nothing. There were two more windows and a stone chimney that looked to be hand-laid, but that was about it. I found myself wondering how he'd paid for it, but then I noticed something else. It was dead silent. When my father wrote in his journal that no one should be afraid of displacing wildlife, I thought he was just saying that to drive home the importance of killing these monsters, but... No, he was right. There was nothing out here. No fluttering of wings, no rodents running around. Nothing. The familiar chill was creeping onto me once again, so I decided now it would be the best time to look inside. I'd never thought living in a studio apartment would end up being a good thing, but it turns out being accustomed to such little square footage was in my favor. Everything you needed was with an eyesight. The kitchen, the bathroom, a shower, a bed, and the fireplace. It felt rather cozy until I saw the stain on the floor. I knew immediately it was where my father had been killed. It couldn't have been anyone else's outline after all, right? It was dark, black, and stained the unvarnished floor. A larger brown-red outline surrounded the head of the silhouette like a sick halo of some sort. Seeing it made me want to cry, of course, but for some reason I didn't. And I think looking back now I know why. I'd made up my mind that my dad hadn't taken his own life, and seeing this outline on the floor set that in stone for me. Why, of all places, would my father lie down on the floor to kill himself? My dad was a man of comfort, always complaining about things being too soft, too hard. It took him three hours to pick out a mattress. I know it sounds silly, but I just couldn't see my father lying on the hard, forgiving, splintering wood of this cabin to spend his final moments. Unfortunately for me, that only meant one thing. These shadows knew how to take control of firearms, at least enough to turn it on their attacker. This was getting much more terrifying by the minute. I spent the next few hours trying to get accustomed to staying here. My plan was no more than three days, as I felt it would be long enough for my mom to start worrying about me, but not so much that she comes looking for me. With night slowly approaching, I decided it'd be best to stay in tonight, rather than try to do the deed. I was still far too anxious to even think about going outside right now, and traversing this place in the dark seemed like one of my worst ideas. I threw a few logs into the fireplace, some smaller twigs and sticks into the potbelly stove, cooked and ate dinner before crawling into bed. When I first heard the noise, I thought it was part of some nightmare. I was in that state of awakeness where the world is just far enough not to feel all the way real. But as I continued on, I realized it was more of a living nightmare rather than a dream. I slowly opened my eyes only to be met with near total darkness. The fire had long burned out and the only light was what was coming from the moonlight shining through the windows. I scanned the small cabin for any sign of squirrel or raccoon prowling, but as I focused more, I came to the realization the noise was coming from outside. 
Seconds later, that small bit of light casted over the room was blocked by something. Something far from human. I wanted to believe this figure was being distorted through the pane of glass, and I wanted to believe this figure was being distorted through the pane of glass, and I would have had I not already read my dad's journal. The figure was lanky, the torso no thicker than a light pole as it curved like an upside-down U, the end punctuated with a small but bulbous head. The head slowly danced back and forth from one side of the window to the other, then corner to corner. I had no idea if it could see me from there, or if it could see me at all, because there were no eyes. Now, don't get me wrong, I didn't look at the thing. I was still as a statue the whole time, but the shadow it cast, there were two small holes, maybe the size of a half dollar on its head. Every time it swayed to one side, I could hear the claws scratching the side of the cabin. It went on far longer than I was comfortable with, but did eventually go away when the sun breached the horizon. Despite running on just a few hours of sleep, I knew I needed to go see that house today, even if it was only for a moment. I made coffee, breakfast, and relaxed for a short time before finally building up the courage to take myself up to the game trail to the cabin. The walk there was ominous. With no wildlife, not even a bug crawling across the forest floor, I was left with my own footsteps and heavy breathing. I never felt so alone and so watched at the same time. And then the house came into view. It was small, but slightly bigger than my dad's cabin. I could tell by looking at the foundation and seeing a small window there was a basement. Incredibly uncommon around here, especially in a house in the forest. The front porch was falling in and the windows were smashed. The door hung by a single hinge and a sliver of hope. I wouldn't be surprised if this house had fallen victim to the less respectful of those in the urbex community, but my thoughts of delinquents were quickly sent to the back of my mind when I noticed a stain on the outside windowsill. Deep and black, just like the one from... from my dad's cabin. Just like the one he described in his journal. I set the gas can down I brought with me to finish what my dad started. On the porch now, I looked closely at the stain. It was a handprint, but there were no features. It was like it was outlined and filled with charcoal, but even darker than that. Following a trail from the fingertips into the house, I saw the full scale of it. The hand led to a forearm, which led to a human-sized stain twisted beyond any human ability. It then clicked. When these things kill someone, they become nothing more than stains, forever painted where they were as they passed. The thought of my father being shot in the head crossed my mind. How would he have been turned to ash if he'd been shot? Then I remembered. He'd been attacked and wounded by these things. It finally clicked for me then. These things, when they attack you, they send some kind of infection that eradicates your body once you're dead. They don't kill you first, that is. The stain on the floor I was looking at 
lacked a head, so I assumed that's how they'd gone out. Venturing deeper into the house, I found rooms you'd expect. A kitchen littered with rotten food and long-forgotten dishes, a small dining room and a bedroom with... Another stain on the bed. This one was more of a normal position, maybe even one you'd find yourself in while trying to go to sleep yourself. Most likely the owner, I thought. There was only one more place for me to check. The basement. The door to it stood ominously at the edge of the kitchen in the hallway, just barely cracked open. I'd brought the rifle with me, but just in case, even in that moment, it felt useless. I pushed the door open the rest of the way and was met with the stairs leading down to what I can only describe as an abyss. The small window I'd seen on the foundation of the house outside was obviously not doing much for lighting down there. To my surprise, there was a small chain hanging about halfway down the stairs. Hoping for the best, I gave it a tug. To my surprise, a small circle of light appeared at the bottom of the steps. I had no time to figure out how this house still had power when I was too focused on the shadow I'd seen dart from the light as soon as it came on. I'd seen enough. This place was far too dangerous to come back to at night. I needed to do this now. I checked my pockets only to find them empty. I was almost certain I brought along matches, but apparently I'd not. Holding the rifle steady ahead of me, I began backing out of the basement doorway and back into the hall, but in my panicked state, my heel barely brushed the top step, causing it to slam down, throwing me off balance. Before I knew it, the stairs were inches from my face, and then... Black. When I came to, I saw a light. A part of me believed I'd fallen victim to the shadows, and this light was the one you see when you've kicked the bucket, but when the pain set in, I knew I was still alive. My ankle was screaming, and my back wasn't too happy either. Slowly, I came to realize the light I was seeing was the light bulb I turned on moments before falling down there. And at that realization, I had another one. I was in the basement. The single place I didn't want to be. I pulled my legs to me as quickly as I could and began looking around. It was no use. I didn't know how long I'd been out, but I could tell, given by how dark it was upstairs, night had fallen. The rifle was still near me, just a few inches of the barrel poking into the darkness beyond this little sliver of light I had. As I started to pick it up, I noticed it was much lighter than I'd remembered. Looking closer, I saw the barrel had been mangled. The shadows had been given an inch and taken a mile. It was bent and twisted, with at least three inches missing from the barrel. It looked like it had been welded shut. It was useless. Despite this, I kept it close as I stood up. Even if I couldn't fire, it could be swung like a bat if all else failed. Staring up at the basement stairs, I had only one thought in mind. Survive. That goal seemed harder to achieve as I heard something begin rustling behind and then all around me. 
The shadows knew I was here, and while they couldn't get to me in the light, I knew they would come as soon as I stepped foot into that inky darkness ahead of me. Between the stairs and those apparent apex predators, it'd be a miracle for me to make it out alive. I didn't see another choice, though. The longer I wait, the worse my angle will get, and if I were to pass out from the pain, I run the risk of falling into the darkness, completely defenseless. And seeing what they'd done to the rifle, I was more than happy to risk running. But they were closer now. I could hear their labored breaths, feel the hot air protruding from their mouths, and sense the bottomless eyes scanning me, waiting to strike. Slowly, I reached up and grabbed the light bulb. It was incredibly hot to the touch, but it was nothing compared to the pain I felt through my body as I stretched to get a better grip. In one fell swoop, I began running forward, taking the bulb with me and redirecting the light up the stairs as I went. The bulb fell from my hand halfway up, but it was enough to gain some ground. I bolted through the kitchen and the living room, out through the front door, just hoping there were none hiding and waiting for a poor sap like me to come through. I was lucky in that regard, as the only sounds I'd heard from the house were escaping through the basement doorway. They'll be here soon, I thought, just as I stepped off the porch, and like a shitty horror movie, I found myself tripping over the gas can I'd left outside when I arrived. The shadows screamed out again, but this time from the living room. I pulled myself up and hobble ran as fast as I could on a bum ankle down the game trail until I saw the cabin in view. The outside light I forgot to turn off was a lifesaver. I dove, just barely making it under it, and pulled my knees to my chest like a child running from a monster. Then again, what made me any different in that scenario? The shadows had caught up at that point, and prowled just a few feet from me, waiting for the smallest part of me to breach the darkness that they felt so comfortable and powerful in. I reached up to the handle of the cabin, found the door, opened it, and threw myself in before pushing it shut with all the power I had. My car keys taunted me from the bedside table, calling out to me almost. Fuck, fuck, fuck. I started to hear small taps on the cabin walls. I sat terrified and confused until I heard the loud pop of the outside light bulb shattering. They were throwing rocks at the light. With no more light outside, the shadows that were held back can now join their friends at the door, and soon it would be too much for me to hold back. From there, I nearly leaped to the bedside table and grabbed my keys. The door began to splinter as I grabbed a log and sent it sailing through the window. Climbing through the window was my only move. I didn't have time to throw a blanket over it to protect myself. I just crawled through, ripping my palms and shins in the process. I believe the shadows drowned out the sound of the window with their own screeches because they didn't seem to notice me. At least at first. Just when I thought I was safe from them, one of them looked over to me and let out an ear-piercing screech, maybe a battle cry to alert the others to where I was. They all followed with screams of their own, but I was already running to my car. I made it to the passenger side door first, threw myself in, and began climbing over the middle console when I heard the window shatter. It wasn't a rock this time, but just the shadow itself. 
It stuck its gnarly claw through the window, followed by its far too long neck. As it swiped at me, I did my best to swipe back with the butt of the rifle, hard, connecting with its face, sending it retreating into the dark of its pack. Slamming the keys into the ignition, I threw on my high beams and slammed on the gas. Some were quick enough to get out of the way, others became speed bumps. I wasn't sure if I'd killed them, but at that moment I didn't care. I just needed to get the hell out of there. I pulled over some miles up the road when I saw I'd gotten a signal again. My first thought was to call the police, but when they basically told me I was full of shit, I opted to reach out to the local wildlife service. Of course, they didn't answer given how late it was, but I left a voicemail. Hi. I was staying in a cabin off of Deer Creek Road, and I came across a pack of wolves or coyotes that seemed to have been infected or sick in some way. They're right up the game trail just south of my cabin. I can give you the exact address if you call back. I'm just worried some poor camper or hiker is going to get killed out there. Thanks so much. Bye. I hated lying. And I hoped they wouldn't pick up on the absolute terror in my voice, but... I had no choice. If I would have told them I was attacked by bipedal shadows in the woods, they would have written me off just like the police did. I'm headed to the hospital now, but I needed to get this all out before I was pumped with pain meds. I hope they give me enough to forget about all this, because I don't want the burden of knowing what's out there anymore. And I fear I sent a group of people down there to deal with a problem that most likely doesn't have a solution. I fear that I sent those people to death. Not because of the few I saw jumping from my headlights as I drove, or the ones that I saw banging on the cabin door. But because of the thousands I heard as I sped up that road to save myself. <laughs>